Our passage today comes from Exodus chapter 17. I'll read the whole chapter this morning. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men for us and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his, so his hands were steady until the sun set. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, with this as a, Write this as a reminder in a book and recite it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, a hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, once again, we find ourselves caught up in the wilderness. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to enter into the lives of the Israelites. That in so doing, we may understand them more deeply. And likewise, we might begin to understand ourselves as well. That in all of those things, we might understand what it means to know that you are with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So if you've been with us, over the last couple of weeks, you know that we're asking the question, how do we flourish in the wilderness? Last week, we took a closer look and we said that one of the things that is most helpful to allowing us to flourish in the wilderness is to know even beforehand, before we reach the most difficult parts of the wilderness, exactly what emotions we might be feeling, what we might want to do. For instance, we suggested that a lot of times when you're caught in those difficult parts of the wilderness, Mara, the bitter aspects, we 
We will usually glorify the past or, or maybe we glorify the future, which then makes it so that we don't actually engage in the present. We also suggested that something else that we sometimes do is that we'll find someone to blame, anyone to blame. But when we're blaming someone, it means that we're distracted and therefore we're not asking the question of where the Lord is with us right now. And then we said that typically when you are in those anxious and difficult places, it will be very difficult for us to be able to hear God or hear one another. And one of the things that we should always be fully aware of is that when you are trying to journey through the wilderness, you and I will make mistakes. What we can't do is allow those mistakes to sidetrack us and to keep us from continuing to marching through the wilderness, to continue toward the promised land, toward God's coming kingdom. This week, we find ourselves in the 17th chapter. Now, one of the interesting things about the 17th chapter that I don't have a lot of time to dive into is this fact that it explains to us or gives us some different experiences of difficult parts of the wilderness. Here's what I mean. If you go to the end of the chapter and you look at this fight with the Amalekites, you will see that the Israelites have been attacked by an outside source, attacked by someone coming from outside of themselves. Now in Exodus, we don't get a big description of exactly what that looked like, but in Deuteronomy 25, and you can look it up, it explains what happened, which is that as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, as they're kind of going through the wilderness, the Amalekites actually attacked them from behind. What that means is that they attacked the children. They attacked the elderly. They attacked the animals. They attacked the vulnerable. Because they would have been the ones who were at the very end of this caravan going through the wilderness. Not only that, but they attacked them, the Israelites, when they were tired and weary. One of the things that we begin to understand is that some of the most difficult parts of our wilderness journey come when we aren't expecting them. Maybe it's a lost job or maybe it's something like a pandemic And we're marching forward and little do we know that something is coming up from behind us that is going to attack at any moment. Of course, we also experience that when a child or someone who is dear and close to us, someone who is vulnerable and whom we are called to protect gets stricken with something or begins to struggle with something and all of a sudden we're caught in this wilderness. One of the things that we all understand is That wherever we are in the wilderness, when we are tired or we are weary, those things seem much darker, much dirtier, much dustier, much drier, much more difficult than they are when we are full of energy and we are fresh. Sometimes when you're caught up in the wilderness, the question that we keep wondering is, where is the next attack going to come from? It it can be incredibly exhausting. What we also see 
yet again in the 17th chapter is that a part of a wilderness experience oftentimes entails broken community, broken relationship, broken family. The Israelites, one more time, accuse Moses of wanting to kill them. Clearly, the, de the, the desert has begun to put much pressure on their relationship. But this week, we also see how Moses is also beginning to play into this dissension. Did you catch how he described the Israelites to God? What am I going to do with this people? What am I going to do with this people? Did you hear that? He didn't say, what am I going to do with my brother and sister Israelites? Or what am I going to do with my fellow uh, travelers on this journey? No, what am I going to do with this people? It reminded me of what happens uh, whenever our children are beginning to misbehave or are difficult to handle. Almost subconsciously, I begin to think, what is going on with Megan's children? It's funny just how quickly we begin to separate ourselves. When they're good, then they're my children. And when they're struggling, well, there must be someone else's children. There is this struggle that comes in the wilderness where we begin to be divided against one another. But there's also an experience of wilderness that is primarily an internal turmoil. This week I was talking to somebody about, uh, about these stories of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and she was saying how when she talks about these stories with her children that typically they will say at some point, what's wrong with the Israelites? How come they can't learn just to trust God? What, why are they so dumb, basically? And, and I get why they're saying that, but one of the things that I have discovered, at least, is that the older I get, the more I realize I look more and more like those Israelites. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that when they came up and began to complain to Moses that perhaps they hadn't completely forgotten about how God had been faithful to them, but maybe what they were wondering was, sure, God was present, God was faithful last month or last week, but but what about today? And in the midst of fear and anxiety, we begin to wonder whether or not the same God who was, yes, with us last week, is he still going to be here today? And so we wrestle with this sense of, of trust and faith versus doubt. We wrestle with hope versus fear. We may want to believe, and yet when we are so surrounded by difficulty, it is a struggle for us to continue to believe. And of course, these different experiences of the wilderness are oftentimes so interwoven. When we're attacked and surprisingly we lose a job, inevitably that seems to always then begin to bring up struggles within your family as the stress begins to grow and of course, it may not be that much longer until you begin to then start doubting and wondering whether or not God is still going to be faithful today. Or if you begin to have trouble with your family, maybe with a spouse, it may not be long until your blood pressure continues to grow higher and higher and 
It begins to manifest itself physically in some way. And then yet again, you begin to wonder about God and whether or not God will be faithful. The truth is that as you go further into the desert-like parts of the wilderness, it is easy for them to keep drawing you in deeper and deeper, deeper into the despair that so often can prevail. So the question is, when we are caught in these parts of the wilderness, how do we flourish? How do we still grow? How do we not give in to despair? I have a feeling that many of us have times when we think that the answer to how we're going to flourish is for God to simply come in and take us out of those places as quickly as possible. But one of the things that we have to remember is that the Israelites were following God. The Israelites were going exactly where God was leading them into those places where they would be hungry, into those places where they were thirsty, into those places where they might very well be attacked. Rather than necessarily believing that as soon as we enter into a wilderness, it must mean that God has abandoned us. Perhaps God has led us to that place because he has something to teach us. God is desiring, as we said last week, not for us to live life unscathed and unchanged. God desires to put us in those places where we will begin to trust him more. Where we, let me say this even more clearly, will begin to understand That God is with us. Isn't that the exact theme of this 17th chapter? Think about it. What does Moses call this particular place? He says it's Massah or Merubah, which means this. Is the Lord among us or not? As Moses tries to understand why the Israelites are not able to flourish in this time. He realizes it's because of the fact that they are wrestling with whether or not the Lord is actually present with them. Think about what the Lord does. He tells Moses to go and to take a stick and to to hit it against a rock. But that's not all he says. He says that the Lord will be right there, right in front of that rock. That the Lord will be with him. In other words, Moses... Don't start saying this, people. Know that I am with you and I am with them. Or what about this particularly striking feature that we see as the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites? Remember Moses and Aaron and her, they go up to the hill. Moses' hands are lifted. It's a posture more than likely of prayer. When his hands get tired and they begin to falter, the Israelites start to lose. But when his hands go back up or when Aaron and her are able to lift them up, then the Israelites are able to then start winning yet once more. 
Surely there is a supernatural part of this of God beginning to bless this battle. And yet it's been suggested, and I think rightfully so, this is also this remarkable image that when the Israelites who were fighting and perhaps were discouraged, when they looked up and they were reminded that God was with them in this position of prayer, it gave them the courage to keep moving forward. In August, for the very last time, we watched one of our girls go to kindergarten. And pretty much every time that we've done this, this is the fourth time, when we would walk and, and, and give them their final hugs and, and then they would begin to take the steps towards the school. Every two or three steps, they would start walking and then they'd look back to make sure that we were still there. And when they could see that we were there, then, then they could take another two or three steps. And, and sometimes they would look back and, and they couldn't see us because another parent had crowded in. And so they, they did what they could to look. And as soon as they saw us, it gave them the courage to say, they have not abandoned us. Mom and dad are still there. And it allowed them then to keep moving forward. When we believe that God is present, and we have the courage to continue to journey toward God's coming kingdom. If you think about it, this is really the theme of all of Scripture. Throughout Scripture, there is a sense that God wants us to know. It's the whole reason the Bible is there in the first place, that we are not alone. God shows up in the darkness to Isaac in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, he's fearful of continuing to say things that he knows the people around him will not like. And God says to him, keep prophesying, for I am with you. The 23rd Psalm at the very center, literally and theologically, is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Paul, in the book of Acts, as he's growing fearful of these acts of mission that he is doing, has a dream where the Lord says to him, I am with you. When Jesus comes to this earth. He is described as Emmanuel, God with us. If we want to flourish in the wilderness and not be overcome by it, it begins at its very foundation is this question that we must answer, is the Lord among us or not? And how we answer that question will dictate whether we continue to move through the wilderness or whether we give in to despair and to hopelessness. Now we could end the sermon right there. But as I was reflecting on it this week, I realized that it seems to me that perhaps the Spirit is telling us more than just how we flourish in the wilderness. Because as I kept looking at that striking image of Moses and Aaron and her, 
I realize that in many ways, they are a reminder to us of the call of the church, which is to be a witness to the world around us, to the wilderness wanderers that surround us at every step. And that witness is to remind people of this, that God is alive. That God is with them. That is not always easy in our time and in this place. I've been reading a book recently called um, Pastoring in the Secular Age. Much of it is about the struggle that many pastors find themselves in as they try to pastor in a time when the society around them tells them that they're not quite as significant as they once were. At a time when the people around them may not even believe in God at all. It's a fascinating book, as I'm sure you think any book on pastors would be. But one of the main themes of this particular book is just tries to talk to us about something that we all know, which is that our world has changed and is continuing to change. That there are far fewer people today that believe in God, nonetheless to believe that God is actually with them. There's lots of reasons for this. The book gives just a few of them. I mean, some of them, simply the fact that nowadays uh, technology has changed in many ways how we understand things. That now we have everything in the palm of our hand. It makes us feel like we are in control, like we are ourselves gods. And if you are a god, you don't need a greater god. We also see it by this great focus on the individual and, and on this a great focus on thinking about my own internal self, which means the more that I do that, the less likely I am to believe in the transcendent, to believe that there is something that is other. We also see it just by the sense of, of our hyper-focus on science. And please hear me, there's nothing wrong with science but sometimes we focus and believe that it will be able to solve every problem and we act as if there are no more mysteries at all in the world. And when we do so, then again, we are less likely to be open to the mystery of who God is. And then, of course, we just have the simple abundance of noise. Noise that is so loud and is so all-encompassing all day long that we rarely create the space to wonder if there is more than just me. An interesting side note that the book points out is the fact that many popular books and movies over the last decade or so have been about people who are struggling, who are wondering if there isn't more. And do you know where they go? Into the wilderness. That perhaps even unknown to themselves, they go into the wilderness as a way of saying, perhaps only when I'm surrounded by places that I don't understand, when I'm in very uncomfortable places, when I, when I can't just rest on me and myself and my technology, only then perhaps will I be in a position to realize that there is more to life. My point is simply this, as pastors, but even more so as Christians, 
We are living in a time when fewer people may be asking the question about who God is or what difference that makes. But our call is to continue to be faithful like Moses and Aaron and her and continue to point to the presence of the living God. I was thinking about that this week and reminded of the summer of 2002. And that particular summer, uh, I was forced uh, as a part of my ordination process to be a chaplain in a hospital. I didn't, had no desire to work in a hospital. If I had wanted to do that, I would have tried to be a nurse or a doctor or something. It was not enjoyable. But I went and it was an experience. Perhaps the most striking experiences were when I had to work in the emergency room, especially if it was an overnight shift. I would walk into those ERs and I would sit there or stand and I would watch as doctors and nurses were running around to and fro, uh, hither and thither, as I like to say, and going around while this patient was there, possibly dying. And I saw some things that, quite frankly, I could never wipe out of my mind. And I remember this incredible feeling of being helpless and wondering why I was there. It was everything I could do to just kind of stay out of the way. And so I would constantly, I would kind of move back to the corner. I would hope that the patient wouldn't see me and know that I was a chaplain because he or she would probably know that wasn't good for them. And I would do everything I could to look both confident and to disappear at the exact same time. And recently, I read, uh, or I read something by Nadia Boltz-Weber, a pastor who had to do the exact same thing that I had to do. And I was greatly relieved to realize that she experienced that same feeling. However, she was actually much more courageous because she then asked them what she should do. She describes it as, as being in a room where it was like a formal dinner party where she was underdressed. And so as she realized that everyone was there and they were doing something and she didn't know what to do, much like me, she was probably back in the corner. And then a nurse came back to where she was. Nadia said to her, everyone here has a job. What am I doing here? The nurse looked down at her badge and saw that she was a chaplain. And she said, your job, your job is to see where God is present while the rest of us are doing our own jobs. Your job is to see where God is present. You see, I, I think that's the job, not just of student chaplains or chaplains, or pastors. I think this is the job that God calls all of us to. The job of Moses and Aaron and her. The job that says when people are out there in the wilderness, they will begin to look around and wonder, is this all there is? And in those moments, 
They will need to either remember or to see in the present time a group of people or a person who they begin to wonder there was something about them that made me think that perhaps this is not all there is. There was something about them that seemed to point to the presence of the living God. Maybe it'll be when someone's entering into a difficulty of a broken relationship and they're struggling with wondering what is happening. And perhaps as they drive north on Michigan Road, a drive that they've done time after time, day after day, week after week, year after year. But this time as they enter into that wilderness for the first time, they will notice the strange brick building at 116th in Michigan and begin to wonder, do those people know? if the Lord is among us or not. Or perhaps it'll be right after the loss of a job, a struggle that they begin to wrestle with. What am I meaning? What's my purpose? And maybe then they will recall a mother or father, a brother or sister, a son, a daughter, a friend, who they've noticed before these acts of prayers, these acts of service that they would do that seemed to be pointing to the fact that there was more to life than just work. Maybe then they'll begin to wonder, is the Lord among us or not? Perhaps it'll be somebody who as they're wandering through this particular wilderness, maybe a particularly difficult time, and they will remember somebody from their past. Somebody who also wrestled with this exact same thing. And though that person was honest about the struggle and the difficulty, there was, all, there was also this sense of peace that never quite made sense. Maybe that will be what sparks this wilderness wanderer to wondering, is the Lord among us or not? I don't know exactly what it is that makes even the most secular among us to begin to wonder whether or not this is all there is or if there is more. But what I do know is that almost all will have a moment in their life when they begin to question what they were so certain of, well, they will begin to say, maybe everything I'm seeing is not all that there is. And in those moments, the church is called to be the people who have continually raised their hands up and said, the Lord is among us. Sisters and brothers, in Christ. This journey that we are on is oftentimes challenging. And there are many times when we need one another, perhaps an Aaron or a Her, to lift up our arms, to point out to us the fact that the Lord is still with us. But know this, the more that we begin to live into the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, not only will it change how we are able to flourish in the wilderness, but it will also speak to those in our community and across the world.
who may be wrestling in a wilderness of their own and who may be wondering, is the Lord among us or not? And in those times, may they find a group of people who are living out what it means to be followers of Emmanuel, God with us. Lift up your hands and know this. God is here. Hallelujah. Amen.